Welcome to the Purposeful Planning Podcast, where you'll gain tangible, practical suggestions to help you transform and elevate your practice. Our content is for both seasoned professionals working with complex family systems and those just entering the field. These podcasts will also be valuable for family leaders who are dedicated to helping individual family members find their pathway to flourishing lives and strengthening the relational fabric of the family. Welcome and thank you for joining us. And now your host. Hello and welcome to another episode of the PPI podcast brought to you by the Purposeful Planning Institute. My name is Steve Legler and I'm happy to be your guest host for this episode. Today's guest is someone I got to know through PPI over the past few years, and I look forward to helping her share some of her work with our community. Arielle Nobile is a legacy filmmaker and musician. And so let's welcome Arielle. Uh, welcome to the PPI podcast. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. One of my favorite things of, of since joining PPI was on the calls and whenever we introduced someone, we we asked them to share their purposeful odyssey, basically how they got started in this and how they're, they're meandering path to where they are now. So I, I know a little bit about yours, but I'm anxious to hear you try and put it into a couple of minutes. Oh, that's very, I'm like, do we have three hours? Um, no. no, we don't. So, well, I always say that I started being a legacy filmmaker out of a sense of regret and longing. Regret because I had three great grandmothers that I got to know, the um, last of which passed away when I was a freshman in college. So, you know, I had them as really a part of my life and I had all both my sets of grandparents. And when my last great grandmother was, a, was, you know, up there in age, I thought about interviewing her and filming her and getting her story. She was a first generation American, had lived in the same building as Al Capone, apparently. Who knows, this is the family lore we have on the west side of Chicago. And long story short, I didn't interview her and I will always regret that because when she passed away, literally a month after I had the thought of interviewing her with sort of no warning, I felt like, wow, that was a wake up call. Time right. is passing. However, I still, it wasn't, wise enough or old enough or whatever to interview my grandfathers who both passed away when I was about 20 and then 22. And so I did start my business by interviewing my grandmothers. Well, and one is still alive. She's 93. And that launched me into this purposeful odyssey, I guess we could call it, because I have spent the last almost 20 years interviewing hundreds of people from all walks of life, really about their story and their journey and their odyssey through life, their hero's journey. And it's just been such a privilege to do that. And I've learned so much and, um, and really created a lot of meaning, hopefully for others, but definitely for myself in the process. Very interesting. I love it when we meet people who it's such a personal story that drove them to where they are now. Mm. And so you chose a title for this podcast, Cultivating Belonging and Trust Through Filmmaking. Hmm. So you talked about making, you know, filming family members, but you also did a whole documentary series called Belonging in the USA. Can you sort of give us a little background of how all that fits together and the message you want to share with our community? Yes. So Belonging in the USA, Stories from Our Neighbors is a trilogy of documentary films I created beginning in 2017. The first of which, the story of Michael D. McCarty, which will hopefully be airing. It will be. It's been accepted to air on PBS 
looking for underwriting at the moment. And those stories are films about heroes' journeys of individuals who have been told by the wider society in one way or another that they don't actually belong and maybe shouldn't exist and how they, despite that, overcame the external pressures and circumstances and hardships to live fulfilling, purposeful lives and inspire other people. And the thought behind that was, I mean, I've made over, I've made hundreds of, I shouldn't say hundreds, maybe at least 150 films, 150 documentaries over these years, but they're all private. So part of my wanting to do that series was to share the power of this work because I've seen it be so transformative and powerful in families. And I also feel like we're at a turning point as a world where we need to just really focus on building more empathy. And I think we can do that through storytelling and through listening and through curiosity and through getting to know people, because I really will posit that any single person you would meet and walk past on the street, if you took the time to hear their full story, you would be mesmerized and you'd probably fall in love with them, even if they seem like someone you wouldn't want to know. That's fascinating. You, you talk about making films in a private way for families and how you saw how powerful that was and now wanted to sort of extend that. And now now you're sort of have one foot in each camp. You know what, what you can do on the private side. And now you're you're talking about having something air on PBS. So that that must be exciting. It is. And it's a different kind of vulnerability, right? Because families necessarily are very vulnerable and you know part of the belonging part of all of it is that I've always questioned and struggled with my own sense of belonging until I really realized that it's an inside job and (laughs) but looking for it outside and looking for it sort of that external approval I think a lot of families struggle with that too when you know being there's black sheep and where do I fit in and all these things and so the interview process that I've taken people through for all these years is very intense and very powerful because I spend with the main storytellers, I spend three to four hours, at least four times. So we're talking about about 16 hours of deep listening. Mm -hmm. I call it revolutionary listening, which is something that we just don't ever get to do. I mean, most things we do are an hour, maybe two of, of talking. I mean, therapy is what, 50 minutes. So the reflective process that I take people through in an interview is so healing because they get to be listened to in this very profound way and seen in a very profound way. And so what I found is that experience is transformative, both for the person being heard and seen and and myself. Actually, I get a lot from that and it drives a lot of my choices in life and has opened me to so many things. I selfishly, I love what I do for that reason. But the other side of it is I wanted to share, I wanted to share these other stories more widely with people. And what it took was those people being vulnerable enough to say, okay, I'm going to share how I came to have a sense of belonging and how I cultivate belonging. Now you might watch these three films and not, it's not like they're on point that there's talking about belonging all the time. It, the, the title is there to create that question in the viewer's mind. What, is, what does this have to do with belonging, right? And so that's my, my, my purpose with those films in a way is to strike that curiosity. And also the stories from our neighbors part, I believe that we're all neighbors in the world and we have to start to look at each other that way and treat each other as neighbors. Um, it's that idea of, you know, 
human brotherly, sisterly love. Right. They they talk about the fact that, you know, once you get to know someone, it's hard for them to be your enemy, right? And and the, your whole idea about spending time with people and allowing them, it's almost a therapeutic process for them to share. And I'm just wondering, when you do that with family leaders to capture their story and the fact that it's private, does that sort of sometimes make it easier for them that it's only going to be seen by family? And is that... And then the, you you hear these stories about elders who don't think that anyone wants to hear their story. And then they're always surprised that when their children and grandchildren hear things that they didn't know, that this is sort of revelatory and starts to frame the fa family narrative in very useful ways. Yes, there's a bunch of questions in there, but I'll say that there's there's something just inherently healing and, and very vulnerable. And, you know, I just listened to an Oprah book that was called What Happened to You, which is really, I highly recommend it. And she said at the end of every interview she's ever done, and this is true for me, I would say too, people will look at me and kind of be like, how did I do? Did I do okay? Like, it doesn't matter how successful they are. We all have that sort of wanting to, we're all children inside, right? Um, but I, part of what's unique about the way I do these films for families is that I will We've decided a few years ago that we, we will only work with families where there's three generations who are going to get uh, their voices heard in the story. So it's not just about the elder sort of, this is what happened and this is my story and I'm pontificating. Um, it's about, it's, it's a reflective process for the whole family and it really gives, there's like a mirroring quality and, a, and there's some feedback, right? There's feedback from the younger generations. This is what I think our story is. This is what I feel in this family. And a lot of it is about the culture of the family and the vibe. And so there's incredible vulnerability there, but I also always set up every interview, and this is true for the public documentaries too, by saying, if you say anything to me that you don't want anyone else to ever hear, no one will ever hear it. It's, you know, my editor and I will cut it out. This is not about exposing you or ripping you apart, or this is about your own process of self-discovery I love watching people have revelations and have aha moments and have, and come to see their own life with a new frame. Cause that's to me what it's really about too. It's not just about, this is the, the family story. I come from a theater and an improv background. I used to teach at second city in Chicago. And that part of me, like, I don't let people don't have to prepare to be interviewed by me. I don't right. really want to know too much either. I might, I want to know the basic outline. Okay. This, 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 like, one conversation and then I don't even want to talk to the real, the people too much before. I want to sit down and have a fresh curiosity to say, who are you? Tell me who you are, because I'm really trying to get at the spirit and the soul of the person, not just the facts or the data or the story or even their achievements. I think what's so much more fascinating about our life is what didn't go well and how we get through it. And those are the parts of the story that people don't typically want to share because it doesn't make them necessarily look good. But if you make them comfortable by listening to them and allowing them, those where things went wrong or the mistakes made are often where the juiciest nuggets are. But to or your question, your point was also that this is private, right? So there's no fear of some cancel culture or backlash. Or right. You could say anything to me and people believe me have said everything to me. <laughs> and so... I am not there. I'm an unbiased observer. I would say, you know, having done this for my family and now doing it for so many other families and having that honor and privilege to be invited and entrusted, it's so much easier to have an outsider do it. I would, I mean, it's better to do it 
but wow, was it hard. I mean, I look at the films I made for my family and there's so much, I, there's so many places I couldn't go. You know, I just couldn't, it was like, there's judgments, there's stories, there's history that I was, and I also honestly didn't want to be in it. So I'm not in either of my films, which I wouldn't allow (laughs) to happen (laughs) if I could help it with a family I was working with. It really needs to be sort of everyone's participating to make it work in the best way. But you're bringing up a point that, that, you know, most PPI members work with families and we are an outsider to these families. And if ever we have to do some similar role within our own families, we quickly see how it is very limiting. So just the idea of having the outsider come in to be able to do this properly just underscores so much about our whole field. Yes, but I would say I also really appreciate and value the fact that I attempted or did it with my own family because it gave me the perspective and the vulnerability of what I'm asking people to do, right? right? I'm asking people to be extremely candid and vulnerable with people who we typically, we in families, we all have these roles that we've constructed, right? And we have these very solidified and, you know, that's the, this, that's the, the person who's always slacking off and that's the person who's, you know controlling and all those things, but you come into a fresh conversation with someone who's never met you and you don't have any of those limitations. You can just be your real self. And then in the film, what's different about what I do versus maybe some other advisors, I'm not an advisor. I don't think of myself because I'm not there to give advice. I'm there to be a vessel of like a big ear, but the discovery process that happens is really powerful because they also know that through me, they're communicating to their family members, things that they maybe could never say or never would dare to say, or they're also really putting the trust in me that I'm not going to. And I make this very clear up front. I'm not going to put anything in the films that's going to hurt anyone. I'm not going to be a, I'm not going to be a vessel of triangulation. (laughs) None of that. But, and I, you know, I've done enough of my own therapy. I have great therapists to know, you know, what is for therapy and what is, and you know, what is not for the public exposure. Um, so I feel like families, look, I would say this, not every person in the world is ready for, to be seen, heard, or deeply reflect. So what another thing about these films does is it gives people, people who don't want to do those things, they just think of it as, I'm just telling you my story and the facts. There's, always one person in a family or in a a situation in any of the films I've made where it's for them. It's their healing. And I think sometimes there's probably people in the future that haven't even been born yet who will be that person who this was really made for. Like maybe in a hundred years, they're like, what happened? Oh, I have this film I can watch and it totally nails it for me. I totally get how I came to be this way, how all this stuff happened over these generations. Gives me chills to think about that. I, I, it's so exciting. That is really cool because you're making it for a limited audience for a family. Yet that family over the coming decades and generations will grow. And so there are potential beneficiaries of watching your work that aren't yet born. And, And somehow all these, these stories from generations before they're all in us somewhere. Right. And and epigenetics. And we don't know. And then somebody someday is going to watch something and probably already has that had some aha moments from some of these. Yeah. And it's never too late either. I have one client who's a dear friend now, but she was, she's in her eighties now, but she was in her early seventies when we worked together and her mother was still alive. 
who was, she was in her nineties and she started, she came to me to tell her husband's families, you know, they have the business and the money and all the stuff okay. she's coming to me for all that. I was like, wait, you know, I like to get the full picture. Wait, was, your mom's alive. She's 90. What? You have four daughters. You don't think the matriarchal line is maybe slightly important to tell. So I, she, you know, I did do her side as well. And she had a tricky relationship with this mother who was a tricky person <laughs> from, you know, Oklahoma, Texas, you know, tough, tough lady and was pretty much blind even when I interviewed her. Anyway, when my client watched her mother's film, she just wrote to me after and just was, she just wept, wept through the whole thing. Um, it was so, I, it brought up so much for her to see her mother in this, as a human, not as her mother, not as right. this person who had had, you know, tricky things happen over her lifetime um, as another, as a fellow human. And her mother has since passed away and I know she occasionally watches it. So like we made a lot of films, we make more than one film for every family, but I feel like that for that family, that film was particularly healing for that person. And I'm always, and to me, that's enough. Part of making my business and being a legacy filmmaker versus, you know, most filmmakers are all about, you know, let's win an Oscar. Hey, that would be great. But I kind of was killing my ego on some level <laughs> by right. choosing to make private films. I don't know if I've done it. I don't think we can kill our egos, but, you know, attempted, <laughs> attempted. You know, you talk about the fact that you, you're not an advisor, you're not a therapist, but through your work, you are playing some version of that role in many ways. And you just made me flash back to when I was doing some of my own work on for Bowen Family Systems Theory, where I went and interviewed my aunt to clarify some things about my relationship with my dad. And I, I fully get that, oh my God, I got to hear about him as a human, as opposed to my dad. And so the, the work you do is so interesting and deep and you talk about the fact that listening is the key and so if we want to listeners to this to to get something out of it what is what is the key to i mean people share things with you like you said believe me people have told me all kinds of things and in my work too i don't know what it is about the way i ask questions but people share stuff with me the first time i talk to them that i would never share with people so what, what are your tricks for for listening to people in ways that has them wanting to share hmm, that's a good question and i also want to say just uh, something else you just said um as far as another potential i see for my work that i don't know if it's been fully realized is fellow advisors if you want to call me an advisor using the films as tools within the family for years to come to which i don't know if that's happened as much as i would like it to but i see the potential for that as sort of let's watch these annually and let's talk about what's still true, what's not true, what what came out of this, what did what helped did this, how did this help you grow and not just leave it at there's this piece of art made. Well there's um, some there's some content there and you can let it sit on the shelf or you can bring it out and share it together as a group and learn from that group experience. Totally. And that as you're, as, something but that, I don't I don't think I have tricks. I mean I think it's just partially who I am of, I, I am very open, I'm very open-minded, very intuitive. I can see, I would say I have this um, innate ability to see the, this is going to sound so strange, but like the baby in people, <laughs> like I can, oh, wow. like I look at you and I'm like, oh my gosh, Steve, you were just the most adorable baby. I can see it. 
And I can see your light that come that we can, you know, some of us, it goes out, it gets dimmer, but it's always there. There's that spark of the original self that we are. And so sometimes my job is to help make that brighter when it's been dimmed a lot or people are really cerebral or people are really shut down or, or been or traumatized right. or whatever it is. And sometimes it's just like, wow, they're on fire. I'm on fire. It's just, this is on. They've been waiting their whole life to be heard like this. You know, I'll talk about Michael D for a second. Who's going to, the film's going to be on PBS. My favorite part about that film, honestly, is that he has watched it. It's toured festivals. It's won awards. We've been all over the country, hopefully soon over the world. We did a screening in Finland on, virtually, but um, and he loves that film. He feels seen when he watches that film. It feels like it represents his true essence. And that to me is the highest compliment because, you know, he is a person, if you met him, he's larger than life. He's a, he's a professional storyteller. He's an incredible, he has this laugh that just goes on for days, but there's a lot of him in a more, there's more nuance to who he is than, than that loud personality that he shows. Up as and, in a room. and you were able to bring that out of him. And so you, one of the words I thought you were going to say, and you didn't. So that's great. It's curiosity because you are there because you are curious and you don't have any other agenda, but to listen to them and help them share their story. I think I'm going to take it further than curiosity. I think it's about wonder. Hmm. I, I wonder a lot about people. I'm curious about them. Sure. But curiosity feels invasive somehow. Like right. it feels okay. like an interrogation. Like I'm yeah. curious about you. Tell me it, it feels very cerebral. Wonder feels more heart centered and it feels more like, I wonder, like sometimes, especially in my intake process, which is very short is as short as possible. I want to know as little as possible. Right. I try to find out well, what is, what happened here? So there's one family I worked with where there was a huge tragedy. This, their daughter had died. She got hit like rear-ended by a, a semi at a toll booth on her way to move back to where her family lived. And she'd invited her mom oh my God. to help her move. And her mom was too busy and didn't do it. This is a billionaire family. And then her daughter is dead. Wow. So I go into this, I'm getting chills telling the story. I go into this knowing that this is in the background of everything and knowing that since then, this couple who were in their eighties at the time I interviewed them had had a lot of tumult because it's really hard to stay together when you have something like that, no matter how much money you have. <laughs> And, uh, and so there was only so much I could do, honestly, with that family. But in the end, her husband passed away a couple of years after, and she was a very hard person. I mean, she had so many walls up. And even then she, they called, they reached out to see if I could make something little for his memorial, something condensed. And she was sort of balking at paying me for it. And it was this whole funny thing. And I finally talked to her on the phone and she ended up crying and saying how much she appreciated how she didn't really get what I had done until he died. Oh, wow. And then she was wow. all appreciate, all appreciation, right. all, but it was like, oh, you know, just that much hope. So I think part of it is also we're holders of space, right? I can yes. hold a lot. I can hold it without taking it in. I can help contain it. And I can also, I know when to push and when not to push. I mean, my second film for the Belonging series, this is a couple who were both um, survivors of the Argentine genocide, wow. survivors of torture, survivors of imprisonment and then exile. I didn't want to open those wounds. I wanted to get enough in there without damaging them more. You're walking a very delicate line. 
But I'll tell you this, because I didn't talk about this. The first interviews I really ever did for film were in the town I'm living in now in Argentina. I interviewed the mothers of the disappeared here, these old women who had been fighting to find out what happened to their children for like, at that point, it was like 25 years. And I just, this is so cool. I'm going to tell you the story. I just got, so I never did anything with those interviews. I gave them to the families, but they were the hardest interviews I ever did. They're in Spanish. They're about this thing that unimaginable horror that happened to them. Just last week, a granddaughter who's 23 of one of those women contacted me. She is studying film and she wants to make something about her grandmother. And she was at, she, we met to, and she wants, I'm going to give her the footage. I, the interviews I did of her grandmother, she's going to turn it into something beautiful. And that makes me so happy that you just never know. You never know. Ariel, I think we're getting to the end of our time here. So I need, I need to thank you for, you know, it's been wonderful. And that's to use your word wonder, getting to know more about your work and you're sharing your thoughts with the PPI community. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you. Listeners, thanks for joining us. I'm Steve Legler. Until next time. We hope you enjoyed today's program. And if you are a member of the Purposeful Planning Institute, I want to invite you to come post in the community forum and share your key takeaways from today's conversation. And if you're not a member yet, here's your invitation to join us and be part of our community and access the network, resources, and tools you need to transform your client relationships and your practice. And don't forget to use promo code PURPOSEFUL to receive a 10% discount on a membership. Learn more at PurposefulPlanningInstitute.com. Mm-hmm.